This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I am Jack Pelzer. I am Dan Hodgman. Yeah, we're doing a robotic interview. Yeah, I feel, felt like I had to follow on with the the little accent you put on there. It's always so weird just starting these things. It's part of the reason I dragged someone in here for the intro, like I had Kelsey last week. Talking by yourself, you, you just feel like an absolute loon. I'll tell you what, I, I set it up for a friend. I set up uh, her whole podcast setup, and I was in her kitchen when I was doing it all. She was somewhere else, and I was... Mic check, one, two, one, two. I was making all these weird noises, and she comes out of, she was in the other room, and she comes and she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I forgot you can hear me. I was making sure the microphone works, so I've got the headphones on. Oh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So today, we're having the second half of our conversation with Matt Mernenham. Mern. The Mern. The Mern. Uh, it was a great conversation, so I think you guys will really enjoy it. And instead of doing these introductions, I might just have a recording of me saying the uh, S&P 500 hit an all-time high <laughs> this The running week. joke. The highs continue. It's, it's, it's hard to not buy dips and, and sell all-time highs, wait for the next dip, buy it some more, sell the next all-time high. Gosh, it's hard not to be doing that. It's been a great strategy so far. It's worked um, for the last 10 years. <laughs> I know. Uh, I'm always out there just thinking the face ripping is imminent, but... In the meantime, let's just all enjoy it. Buy the dips. Um, if you want to learn some other trading advice that's not just buy equities, uh, why don't we give a plug for our other shows we're doing? Absolutely. So this week we did an awesome Coach's Playbook. So as you guys know, or if you don't know, first off, check out our YouTube. Go to YouTube uh, and search Top Step Trader. We'll pop right up there. Make sure you guys subscribe and um, turn on notifications Every Wednesday we do a coach's playbook and uh, typically we're talking about some experiences with the markets or tips to help control losses or we've done it in the past where we say why you're going to lose money trading. Um, so we've done all sorts of things. This week we took it a little different and Jack sat down with uh, John Hoagland. All of you probably have heard by, heard of him at this point. He's done multiple podcasts. He's the host of the Market Forecast, which is every Monday through Friday at 8 a.m., and the co-host of the uh, market recap that I'm on him with every single day at 3 p.m. Central Time. Um, so this week he sat down and spent about 35 minutes talking about his process starting on Sunday night and how he prepares to trade throughout the week. It was really great. Took in a lot of questions. Um, so going forward, if you guys haven't seen these or didn't know we were doing live stuff, make sure you check us out when we're live. Like I said, Monday through Friday. 8 a.m. Central Time and 3 p.m. Central Time. We are live. And then every Thursday going forward, it'll be Thursday at 11.30 a.m. Central Time. We'll be doing the coach's playbook. And John got a lot of great questions today that he was able to answer and really help clarify a lot of stuff, talking about open interest, talking about profiles, talking about just the simple, how do I frame out my week. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, what time frames he's looking at in the market. And the great thing about our YouTube shows, it's interactive. If you're on there, you can just type in your questions and then I'll squint my eyes and stare at it and we'll read it <laughs> in uh, real time. So, And if you just say hello, we will say your name back and say hello to you. Yeah, so. I'll mispronounce your name. Plus, you can see what I look like in real life, which is, you know, six foot eight, 
about 6% body fat, <laughs> sculpted jaw. Um, yeah, more a nice, or less. A nice hairline. Luscious hair, just all over the place. Mern-esque. Mern has great hair. We've mentioned He's this. He's got some nice flow. So anyway, check that out. Rate and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that would be a huge favor to us. But in yeah, the meantime. it means a lot. Go in there, write a review, let us know what you think. It definitely helps us create better content and keep moving forward with this thing. Yeah, that's the goal. We're trying to take stuff we learned from our surveys and help you get better in these markets. So in that spirit, uh, let's go on and check out part two of our Limit Up interview with Matt Merningham. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two of this Limit Up interview. We're calling it The Return of Mern. Part one was Feel the Mern. <laughs> I feel like you nice. just came up with that one on the spot. It's pretty good. You know, I'm trying to live more in the moment in 2020. That was uh, one of my resolutions. My other resolutions uh, were to lose some weight. How's that going? Mm. Oh, it's going great so far. I'm always good for the first month and a half. It's, that's the rest of the <laughs> follow through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you got an 11 and a half or 10 and a half months of struggle. Yeah. Well, that's just year one. <laughs> you know, it's like that Bill Gates quote that uh, we use a lot at Top Step about uh, people overestimate what they can accomplish in one or two years, but underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. For me, that's uh, fatness, mm. right? <laughs> I overestimate that is weight gain for me yeah, right I can, now. I overestimate how fit I can get in a year, and underestimate how fat I can get in a decade. So that's what's going on with me. But anyway, this is about Mern today. Uh, we're back with Matthew Mernahan, uh, current top step front end developer, front end engineer. Uh, but for about eight years before that, he was in the prop trading industry at various places. Uh, hello again, Mern. Hi. Yeah, so last week we centered our conversation around what people could do or what it was like to interview and get a job in the prop trading industry and what it was like working there. So, Dan, I thought we could uh, recap a few of the things we said. Um, at some of the bigger places, you're definitely going to want a very analytical background. Mm -hmm. I think it would certainly help if you had traded some on your own time or played professional poker. I'm just going to throw it out there. That's what a lot of people get in the trading from. And vice versa. I think a lot of I've seen a lot of traders go from uh, the trading world into the poker world. And I think we even have an early, early podcast talking about how poker playing translates with trading fairly well and understanding of risk management. Did you see that at all, Mern? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially um, early on in the, in the floor days, I mean, you'd have to read people uh, to kind of figure out order flow all the way up into probability theory and, um, yeah, putting on longer term trades for sure. Oh, absolutely. I yeah. think see it's it on also... the broker's face. You can see it on the runner's yeah. face. You can see... You can see the uh, you can see Merrill Lynch standing up at their desk yelling sure. and screaming something in, and you can you can you have to learn how to read people. That's a great yep. point to make. And what's interesting is that transitions beyond the floor where you're not just reading people mm -hmm. uh, the best, because especially you know people in their mid thirties they grew up playing internet poker yeah. as a thing, and they're just good at reading the market, reading order flow. Uh, the two, three best traders, including this guy that ran a very profitable uh, black box operation at the place I was at, all came from professional poker and sports gambling beforehand. Mm -hmm. And hey, people out there, if you can beat something like sports gambling, where they have the VIG and you are at a natural disadvantage, right? Yeah, you're probably pretty good. 
pretty good. Can spot market inefficiencies, I'm sure. Not only that, but you understand, you know, when to call it quits, which I know is something we're going to be touching on here later later on today. But that's one of the hardest things for traders in general is saying, okay, I'm done for this trade. I'm done for this day or this week or maybe even this month. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard to do that as traders and, you know, successful poker trader or poker players. They know when to say, hey, you know what? I can't bluff my way through this hand anymore. I have to fold. Um, so I can be a part of that next hand. Yeah. yeah. And I think, uh, trading and, uh, you know, traditional gambling, uh, you really, uh, if you have poor odds, you're not going to enter a hand. You're not going to, you know, put on a trade. And I think that's another, something that is between the two that are oh, pretty, totally. uh, yeah, that separates gambling and trading. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the overall recap, if you're interested in getting as a career into prop trading, uh, beyond the retail space, if you're interested in interviewing with firms and things like that, I would highly just recommend studying up on analytical things, engineering, mathematics, physics, economics, especially the econometrics end of that. I would start showing some things you could do as far as trading accounts or, hey, plug, if you pass the trading combine or something like that. (laughs) It's something that you can talk about in interviews and uh, learn to code. Mern, what do you think nowadays the best sort of coding experiences for people working at prop firms it's kind yeah. of all over yeah i think uh in uh the trading world i think python is is the is the king as far as analytics go um as far as really low level uh optimization it's probably a c language but um i think if you were looking to incorporate that into your current trading strategies i think python is a a really good way to uh get an you know to the next level of uh anal- yeah because there'll probably be developers there too to handle yeah, the the real the real hardcore stuff. Sure. Um, and that being said, the little that I do know about coding is that once you know one, it's more learning to think like mm-hmm. uh, a computer, and it's not really knowing one language or another. If you're good at code, you can learn other languages. You might be better or worse at them, but yeah, yeah, definitely. And to your point, I mean, there's going to be people that are making the exchange communication or however you're executing trades, probably at the prop firm. But um, if it's something as easy as it can be as easy as just taking data from, you know, moving, moving average indicator and, uh, operating on it. Uh, I think Python would be a good starting place for sure. Absolutely. I think anywhere you look now, if you are looking to get into that re- or that prop firm, um, make this a little bit more of a professional career work with a team. One of the first requirements that they're going to want to see is some sort of coding background. That's what everyone wants to see right now. So, if it's something that you guys are interested in looking into, make sure you know you listen to what Mern has to say. Start doing a little research into Python, um, things of that nature. It'll really kind of give you a leg up going into a lot of these um, these platforms, going into these interviews for sure. Yeah, and if you're real fancy, you can uh, use that stuff yourself. Yeah, start a little black box thing. <laughs> <laughs> know know what you're doing first, though. Don't just start firing automated orders. Yeah. So as we left off last time, I think uh, Dan was in Japan, and then Mern and I were on various floors of the Chicago Board of Trade. MF Global had exploded. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it did. And you were, at this point, you were kind of starting off, uh, you were doing a partnership together with someone you had met along the way who was a sharp, yeah. so to speak. Sorry. Yeah, very good trader. All right. So maybe we just dive back in there and we talk a little bit about uh, what you guys were trading there and how that worked out for you. Sure. Um, yeah. So early 2012 started this partnership 
And we were, it was a continuation of strategies. Um, we had to scale back, uh, because of the crush, um, the position sizes, but also the tick values are pretty high. So it's capital intensive. Um, so we were continuing those strategies, but also kind of looking into starting to automate, uh, especially for calendar spread execution. Um, we would look at, um, order books and discover where there were maybe uh, a lack of volume and we would fill those fill those gaps in the actual order book uh, depending on a few different indicators and uh, we had an execution a program a nice platform that would uh, mm -hmm. automatically refill um, at those position at those spots in the order book um, as orders were getting filled um, and that's kind of how it started and we continued to do that over calendar spreads across a lot of different ag and some financial products. Um, yeah. And we did that for a couple of years. How many contra or how many um, trades are you guys executing a day? Ooh. So this was another uh, huge difference in being at a prop firm and kind of starting your partnership is you're so <laughs> aware of costs, right? Cut like, down, cut down. Yeah. So we were, uh, I think we were probably doing, uh, you know, over, I would say around a thousand contracts a, a day. Okay. Um, and, to be fair, the crush contract on the exchange is thirty. So if you if you want to buy or sell one crush contract, it's thirty yeah. uh, contracts. So um, yeah, we were doing probably around a thousand, maybe maybe more during the summer months when the agriculture uh, commodities really uh, you know increase in volatility. Um, yeah, so that was uh, a big concern, but also the fixed costs of having seat leases and. You know. I love that you're bringing that up because I think a lot of people don't process all the costs that can go into this. Can you kind of mm. go into a little bit the costs that you guys are running up on your own doing these types of things? Yeah, sure. So you have your seat lease, which uh, you have to get from a member um, if you don't own one. Uh, and the advantage is, is that the more contracts you trade, uh, the lower your fees are, right? So we were trading a decent amount of size every day. So we felt that it would be very advantageous to trade you know, I think the fees were like a quarter or maybe, I think they were less at the time. I think they were five cents. Um, and then you have your platform. And that, uh, and that membership just to lease that seat, that's anywhere for people oh. thinking about it. That's anywhere from 300 to a thousand bucks a month, really depending on what you're trading, what seat you're leasing. So that's, it, it becomes yeah. a hefty chunk. I yeah. pay a thousand bucks a month. Yeah. So it you was, probably had a full. A, yeah. We had, I had fulls a full too. By the time we got started. I had at, a com. At the place I was at. It was about ten to twelve thousand dollars a month mm -hmm. in desk fees. Mm -hmm. um, so that just puts things in perspective. There are advantages, obviously, because it's a free market. So right. if you weren't if you weren't getting good technology access to developers and edge as far as speed and stuff in return, you wouldn't do that because that would be insane. But uh, Mern, sorry, yeah. you can continue yeah, to no, break that I, down. Yeah, and so we, uh, I think, if you data feeds. Uh, platform licenses and uh, your your seat license or your seat lease is it was we were probably running each uh, forty five hundred a what month. What platform were you guys running? Uh, trading technology TT TT and the, the I mean the old faithful yeah the classic yeah and at the time they had really great automated execution their auto trader was great and then they started leveled up with you know ADL which is kind of where uh, we started to. To, I started to dabble in um, quite a bit, uh, but then you have your you know your variable costs or your your actual fees of the trades. Which Each is, trade you're taking, there's a cost to that. Yeah, and I think our clearing firm, uh, you can go well. There's there's variable costs or commissions that they take depending on how many contracts you trade. So the more contracts you trade, the lower your, your commissions are. 
And so we would negotiate. And once you hit a certain threshold of fees, I think I was at 30,000 in fees, then they would drop the commission really low. So you'd always wait until that one day where your, your commissions went from, you know, a quarter <laughs> down to, to 10 cents. And then you start going crazy. Well, then, yeah, your, your margins get <laughs> Let's better. Let's have some so, fun yeah. right now. So was there a big, and I think about this in terms of our retail traders, was there a big mental barrier when you guys were out on your own risking your own capital? Now, when you work at Prop Shots, sometimes you are to an extent, you're, um, you are risking your own capital because you oftentimes have to have reserve uh, requirements with them or you keep some money in the firm. But was that different? Because it, it definitely is for me. When I, I was trading at a firm... I felt like I had a much larger risk appetite. I was able to keep uh, my head on straight, taking way bigger swings. And now if I trade on a whim somewhere, uh, I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very thrifty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's something everyone runs into, right? For sure. For sure. I mean, the, you know, the first, the first couple months, it's, hey, I need to cover costs. And then it's, you know, I will adjust my size based on one uh, – if my strategies are working, if they're profitable, but also keeping in mind that there, there is a bottom line and, you know, you have to hit it. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it. You just mentioned you're at 4500 a month just to open the door mm -hmm. and show up and start trading. Then you have your life costs. You know, you still have to eat, yeah, sleep, right. yeah. you know, function. So you're looking – you have to turn a decent chunk each month and it starts to weigh on you. Those losses feel a little bit bigger. The, the profits feel a little bit smaller. Yeah. And uh, it's definitely a grind, I could imagine. Mm -hmm. So it seems uh, from reading your sheet here, like you took a little more than a $4,500 drawdown at some point. <laughs> oh, yes. Fast forward a little bit. Um, after uh, we had kind of parted ways in the partnership, uh, it, took a, it took a quite sizable drawdown of my own, own personal money. And like most extreme things, it wasn't like one, one day, one, you know, short amount of time. It was kind of over the course of a month, uh, some two two things actively trying to size up, saying, "Hey, like I had a really good first quarter, so I'm just gonna, you know, double my size for no other reason other <laughs> than that the past performance that I had had, uh, I thought that I was now allowed to trade, you know, two x of what I used to. Which there's a great not... teaching moment coming from this in a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, very quickly realized that that's not sustainable, but also a very terrible idea to to in, you know, set in stone, hey, I'm going to double my size right now. So just to get to that point, because I did skip ahead a little bit, um, I apologize. It, it, I was asking about, you know, the differences between trading your own money versus trading firm money. And it seems after a while, that's what led you to go back into uh, mm. the firm world, right? Uh, yeah. So, and that's the one real advantage of prop trading firms, I think, and why I was drawn back is that you can scale, you can safely, uh, you know, uh, simulate your strategies and then go into the live market. Whereas when you're on your own or if you're in a, in, in a partnership situation, you have to trade almost just to keep like, you know, just to keep the doors open or, or just keep, keep going. Um, and the difference in risk that you can take in a prop firm, uh, is that it's not as, personal as uh, trading in a partnership. Or it's it's a big difference. You don't have every any penny you make and lose when it's your money. It kind of weighs on you. You feel those a lot more when you're, it's a prop firm. Losses don't really add up in your head. You have an idea of, hey, this is you know my limits set by the firm. This is what kind of risk I can have. I can kind of push myself each and every day. 
around my risk and then I'm done. Like as long as I don't do it every single day for three months straight that I'm pushing my limits every single day, I'm going to be okay. I've got a job the next day. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is what leads to – there's a lot of talk about moral hazard in finance and you hear it a lot in terms of the iBanks but the bigger a trading firm you're at, the same principles apply. You only have so much money that's in the firm – you can take, no matter how they're controlling, ultimately, you are in charge of the risk you take. They can put any controls they want, but it becomes very complicated to see how much risk you have on. Mm-hmm. And the worst they can do is fire you. When you combine all those things, you get a lot of super ambitious people, a lot of people who like to gamble a little bit and things mm-hmm. like that. That's a problem. And some people run into that temptation. So another thing is you got to be, if you want to work in that industry and trade other people's money, you got to be trustworthy. You have to be trustworthy because you make a great point, Jack. It's the worst thing that can happen to you is you just get fired. It's not your capital on the line at the end of the day. And I've been there and I've watched guys blow out an entire company and no skin off their back. And it's everyone else's kind of job to try and pick up that slack. And so I really think that's an awesome point to, for people to recognize is when you are fu- when you are working in these big prop firms, it is other people's money. The worst thing that happens to you is you lose your job. And to give a quick example too, just as part of a strategy, on one of my screens when I used to work prop, I used to have this uh, my doomsday button. I would have this button that would I swear this is true that would launch. I won't give the number, but a whole bunch of uh, long treasury contracts into the <laughs> market because if something really bad happened, those were going to rally, 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 rally. Right. Mm-hmm. There's nothing stopping me from hitting that button two seconds before unemployment. Oh, man. Right. Yeah. Right. And the, the, you can get fired, but it's ultimately up to the people they hire. They got to be able to trust you and that you're not going to be vindictive or anything else like that. Yeah, there's a massive level of trust where Mern talking about trading his own money, if he had that moment of, I'm just hitting this doomsday button, taking a shot, it's it's his livelihood on the line. It's not, you know, and that's where that big change comes in when you're trading your own capital. Yeah. Yeah. So you're back in the prop world now. What uh, year are we at now? We've moved to. Ooh, we're in 2016. 2016. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Ah, we got Brexit coming up. We mm-hmm. got the election coming yeah. up. Very, very fun year. Interesting summer. Mm-hmm. That it was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was um, out of kind of what had happened, trading my own capital, uh, took a drawdown, got it all back, but it was, it was a tough year and decided kind of that I really wanted to scale uh, and not only scale, but test some of the automated strategies that I had been working on uh, by myself. Uh, and so if you have a really good idea, it's actually something that you can bring to prop firms that they would be interested in uh, hearing your idea and allocating their capital t- to your strategy, um, which is kind of what I what I did. Um, and so 2016 was a it was a it was a good year, um, profitable. Started executing some small strategies that I'd worked on up until that point, uh, trading my own money, and so. Yeah, I think that a huge difference was not only the desk fees that you were talking about, um, but also the ability to trade larger size and to uh, kind of have more freedom to explore other markets. So that's got to be a crazy competitive market mm. if you're going around 
Yeah. How does that? I'm a little bit curious. How does that work? So if you have a piece of proprietary code or Mm -hmm. software or an algorithm or something like that, what is the process through which you seek out firms without tipping your hand? How does that work? Sure. Uh, First, it was a lot of showing uh, P&L records because they kind of want to know they need to see money coming in. You're profitable. Um, But then also kind of just I just a very high level rundown of uh, what from the strategy generation all the way to execution, kind of just a high level uh, walkthrough of what that actually means. And um, uh, the firm I was at, a lot of traders did use uh, TT, which really helped uh, in that process because they were familiar with the, the domain, which I was executing trades. So were you pitching to sell your strategy or are you just pitching yourself to come and trade your strategy and they don't have the rights to it? Because I know a lot yeah. of people do it differently. They'll go into a firm, they'll sell the rights to that strategy and that that execution system mm-hmm. and then they manage it, but then the firm owns it and then they yeah. can lock in a chunk of capital in the beginning. How do you, how'd you go about that? Yeah. So it was, I, uh, it was, it was for me, not my strategy. So it was okay. for me to just join one of their, their prop desks to come trade. Um, I think that it was a, a pretty, it was, it was back tested and it was tested in the simulated markets, but uh, it wasn't uh, the capital that was required. I didn't really have at the time to, to really get it off the ground. Um, which and was, I think that's the case with a lot of these um, automated systems. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of capital to get them going. People do a lot of, a lot of fine tuning in them. They get them successful, uh, yeah. but then they need that capital to help them be profitable within them. And I think that's something a lot of people run into. And that's when you see these systems coming into the firms. Yeah. Um, it's a very common thing. Yep. And uh, there are slight differences between, you know, the simulated market and the the live markets. So there is an operational risk. Um, yeah. Note, note to our traders out there. There are advantages, shall we say, in the simulator that are not bestowed upon the live markets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as you're in the queue on sim, you're getting filled. It has nothing to do with how many orders were filled at that price. If you're in the queue, you get it. What were you trading at this time? Same uh, part, pieces of the crush. So not okay. not necessarily the exchange defined crush contract, but a a ratio, a different ratio. I know um, you were talking about you were doing calendar spreads. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil's on those calendar spreads. Were you guys doing? Was it first in, first out, or were they percentage based? Yeah. So we were. Uh, we would put in if we saw uh, the the volume at a certain price level within the top five uh, price levels. Mm-hmm. Drop below a certain percentage of the total uh, visible book, uh, we would put in an order of at least 10 contracts, which triggers the the pro rata, the percentage of the total volume uh, fills. Um, so that's kind of what we where okay. we started. And it was always typically, um, we had a pretty uh, a long bias on those just because a lot of uh, ag calendar spreads run close to full carry, um, which is kind of a defined risk trade. Uh, it, just because once it drops Keyword, below, kind of, yeah, kind of, it's not. <laughs> uh, and I actually, somebody I think was telling me that, uh, yeah, that does not ex- exist as much anymore. But um, so we would have a long bias and work work buys at those at those levels, um, and then either scalp them for small profits, or if they were at levels which we thought would be better long term, we'd, we'd hold them. Awesome. One of the huge advantages, even if you're not going to sell it to a firm. You know, if you're just a retail trader or something like that, 
building one of these or thinking really from what my automated strategy would be is a great thought exercise. Or even if you get to the point where you can backtest things like that, those are some really good data points. And they really make you think about how objective my strategy is. Could I tell it to a computer or am I, you know, a lot of people go in there with the feels, mm-hmm. which, you know, some people, for whatever reason, can feel it and it works for them. <laughs> but by and large, it's a very good thing to actually know objectively what your strategy is. Can you put the numbers or percentages, like you say, I'm looking at order flow. Well, what does that mean? Like, what specifically are you looking at as far as order flow goes and things like that? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. It helps define your risk every single day. It helps you know, ground you when you're struggling and you can sit back. And I think that's one of the biggest things when traders do have a strategy, back-tested a system that has worked historically. They can kind of hold their hat on that. And if they've had two or three bad days in a row, instead of going in and saying, forget it, wipe it all clean, start back over, you can look back and go, this is a successful strategy. The market state currently Mm -hmm. today is not working with it, but I know 68% of the time I'm successful with this. I think that's that's a great way to put it, Jack. So as I can see from the uh, timeline here, we're getting into the 2016, 2017, which is, you know, getting pretty close to now when the three of us are not – on the floor or at the board of trade right now. We're at a padded studio here in the West Loop. (laughs) And I thought it'd be interesting uh, for our traders out there, or maybe just therapy for myself as far as talking about this, is talking about when you know it's time to get out of trading. And that can mean a lot of things for different people. And I think sometimes it's a lot more complicated than just, I'm not making money anymore. Because you can be making money But I think there's an opportunity cost at a certain point that you're thinking, this isn't worth it. I don't enjoy it in the same way. And not to put you on the spot, Matt, but if you wanted to kick us off, uh, what were your thoughts about transitioning? Sure. So um, it was a a combination of things. It wasn't just one uh, singular event. Um, I think one was um, my focus started to – I had written – Started to teach myself Python in order to kind of keep up with uh, not only PL tracking, but also um, just a little bit more advanced uh, of the correlation strategy um, integration that I was trying to use for my trading strategies. And I found myself just getting more interested in how that actually works and if I can apply that to something else and then build it out a little bit more. Basically, to say that I kind of lost interest in the between uh, after market hours of looking back at what actually happened during the day, kind of uh, forecasting what was going to happen over the next week or month and just diving into uh, code, which in turn affected my performance. And so it was kind of uh, a combination of flat P&L and interest in how Python works or how programming uh, in general works. You got more um, interested in the computers. My yeah. uncle tells me those are the future. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's a more articulate way of what I just said. So, yeah, I think it was that combination. Um, and uh, the markets had changed. The fundamentals ha- had changed drastically. Um, you know, a, the, the crush, which I had been trading for at this point six years, uh, had – and I saw in a week and a half jump, you know, 30, 33%, which is outrageous. Astronomical. Um, and the f- fundamentals between uh, soybeans and, the so- you know, 
the byproducts had totally changed. Um, so I was a little bit, you know, I was a little bit out of touch. It's a lot more risk you're putting on. Yeah. You're feeling, a, you're feeling a lot more risk versus that reward within these opportunities. Reward is great. Yeah. But when you're looking at these rewards, you have to recognize if, 30, if the crush moves 33%, that buries you. Yeah. You're, you get on the wrong side there. And it can be tough if you're being carrying a big position to get the heck out of that. Yeah. To yeah. cover those positions, it gets really difficult. And sure. Obviously, you haven't lost as much hair as I have, so it didn't weigh on you too much. <laughs> yeah, and that's, you know, keeping an even keel while trading is super important. And, uh, you know, no matter what the market condition, I always try to be as calm as possible. Most human beings will go through a lot of different interests or what you're most mm. interested in or what what makes you happy type thing throughout your life. And there's no problem with shifting those things, right? I think that, you know, for me, for instance, it became, there's a huge burnout. I'm trying to think of the right word, not quotient. There's rate. a huge burnout rate yeah. in trading. And it makes perfect sense because one thing that I definitely do not miss from that career is once I had night guys, mm. you'd get calls in the middle of the night. And the calls in the middle of the night were never good. I never once... In the entire time I was trading, got a call at like three in the morning that said, things are great. Hey, just made a bunch Jack, of money. things are great. I, I just want to tell you how much money I have for you when you come into, don't come in tomorrow. It's all great. I got it. Mm -hmm. No, it was always bad. And especially when things did, I was trading rates and rates, you know, I exclusively traded treasuries and those got, shall we say, very bad to trade. Once interest rates were so low that everything was mm. locked up, the markets were locked up, they'd hardly move. And then when they did move, it was either a big block trade or they were gone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I personally at that point had been feeling the burnout for a couple years and was looking for an excuse to leave and do some other things that I was interested in. And I did not feel like starting all over again, learning a new product, going to a new shop. Mm -hmm. Starting new jobs is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So while I still – I realized at that point that I still love markets. I love talking about markets. I love following them. I don't love anymore trading every single day, grinding mm -hmm. it out. I just couldn't do it. And I applaud the people that can. And I saw other people that I was working with. I knew that I would not have what it took to be great. And I think life's too short just to be good or getting by at something, right? Yeah. That's a uh, – man, That that's a, a great it's explanation. And it's while I'm deep, on a that's, philosophical that's tirade, really one more thing. <laughs> and this is probably really getting down the woo-woo hole. So listen <laughs> out there, traders and such. Um, I'm someone that really wants to build – a sort of tangible things that are lasting and trading is very ephemeral. Mm -hmm. It's very in the moment and what you do the day before besides the money doesn't always carry over to the next day. Sure. Now I think you can be totally Zen and be on that side and totally be like, no, I want to live in the moment all the time, be a person of the now. And that's a very admirable quality too, but it wasn't me. So I think that's when I decided to move on. You know, it's funny. I'm the opposite. That's why one of the reasons I love trading every day is because what happened yesterday doesn't matter. I've always been of that nature of the past is the past. The future isn't guaranteed. All you have is now. 
And to me, that's what trading is. All we have is right now, make the best of this opportunity and uh, set yourself up so that if tomorrow does come, you can be there to be able to take advantage of it. Otherwise, forget it. I've had a freaking blast doing this since I was 16 years old and I plan to keep doing it for the next, well, till I can't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't regret any of oh, it. Oh, no. I don't, but I don't, I didn't want to regret it. So there's right. a difference in that. Mm-hmm. And I guess for our traders out there, if you're an adult, you're over 18 years old, you more or less to varying degrees have control over whatever you're going to do. No one's going to, you could get in your car tomorrow and just <laughs> drive. Right? Yeah. You could. You could do that. There's going to be consequences, <laughs> but don't ever feel like you're completely locked into something. Um, you need to kind of do what, you know, take agency over your own life and do it. And I know it can be, it's super hard and I struggle with that constantly, but yeah. whether it's trading or anything else, I think that's something important that you need to think about. Sure. And kind of on the flip side of that, I've you know started trading a little bit again, which you can always come back to it. It's never you're not going to be there. Markets are always going to be there. They're always going to you know, there's always going to be uh, ways to put on trades and to do that. So even if you do hop in your car and drive in one direction, you know for X amount of time, <laughs> so you, you can see always, the coast. Yeah, you can always yeah. come back. Oh yeah, I still trade too. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean it's yeah, it was a blast. Well, and Dan, you transitioned sort of the educational end of it. Absolutely. But so you still I, trade a bunch. Right. I was <laughs> I was a little exhausted of the the stress that came with it, the sleeping the sleepless nights, so to speak. It was just kind of never ending. And uh one of the guys at the firm I was with um stepped out of his um controls and uh took a multi, multi seven figure loss um and kind of frightened me from that large size trading, it really put things into perspective how quickly I'm talking in a matter of about two days went from up over seven figures to down over multiple seven figures. And it was in the blink of an eye to the point where it was moving so fast. Um, after he got fired, we were trying to exit out of the position and they were not allowing us to even get out of the trade as we watched it go against. And it quickly you know, put the fear of God in my eyes and I got scared to death of the risk that is out there. And um, so I was going to take a, a little six-month hiatus, take a little vacation, disappear from the United States for a little bit. And I get a call from Michael Patak, hey, you want to become a performance coach? And uh, three years later, here I am. I took a couple of months off of trading, but I was back at it pretty quickly. And But it changed everything for me. It's all small size now. I'm not trying to you know, knock it out of the park every day. I'm just looking to, you know, create a little opportunity in life to I, that I can, you know, create some opportunities that I couldn't afford just, you know, doing the normal thing. And that's how I look at trading. It's not a, it's not a necessity. It's a, it creates opportunity for me. And that's what's really helped me with my trading. Yeah. And uh, Mern, so you found some happiness. You're enjoying the development yeah, and there's there's a lot of parallel. There's a lot of overlap and parallel between uh, creating a trading strategy and kind of the development life cycle. It starts similarly. You have an idea, uh, you have to you know develop this idea, you have to test it, and then you can finally release it into production, which is similar to kind of back testing and then simulation, simulated environment, and 
uh, into the live markets. So uh, found a lot of parallel there in what I'm doing now and what I used to do. And I'm very, very happy. Well, thank you so much, Mern. Nominally, we all still work at Top Step, and I think we got some uh, meetings coming up here in a few minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So oh, uh, we'll let you go. Mern, thanks so much for stopping by, not once, but twice. Yeah, this, um, was, this was just really great. Talk I really enjoyed you. it. It's a real pleasure, guys. Uh, I'm glad glad to stop by and you know be a part of this conversation. Outstanding. Thank you. All right, uh, Mern, thanks for stopping by again. Uh, you have any parting words for us? Maybe yeah. a quote? Ooh, yes, I do. Thanks. Uh, the greatest lapses in concentration come from when we dwell too far in the past or look too far into the future. So, Wow. Who said that? Well, William H. Galloway. All right. Well, I like that one. I think on that we can end. Thanks again. And traders, I'll see you guys after the break. Guys, ladies, gentlemen, thank you for making it to the final wicket. I think that's what they say in cricket. I believe it is. Yeah. Of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Uh, we thank Mern so much for sitting down with us twice. Dan and I just finished our interview a little bit earlier with Anne-Marie Band, who's a great trading educator. She has two decades of experience in the market, and she's going to be on next week to talk about a collaboration she's going to be doing with us. A collab, as we uh, for, we now know it as. Industry, y'all. Um, that's something we're going to be doing. And Amory just has fantastic advice, great educator. You're going to want to not miss that. But if you must do something to pass the time in the meantime, once again, rate and subscribe. Check out our YouTube channel. Go on Facebook and interact with other people. I think that's what Facebook is for, that and like disinformation campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> Stalking old friends and uncomfortable things like that. No, check out uh, topsiptrader.com slash Facebook. That's our Facebook community. Always some great stuff going on there. And like Jack said, check out the YouTube page. We're having a lot of fun there. Um, we're, you know, we definitely want to keep engaging with you guys in all aspects. Yeah, and it's Thursday evening right now, Thursday, 3 o'clock. If you're downloading this right away, Dan's got his Coors Light. Limit up, brought to you by Coors Light. Coors Light. Ride that uh, train. <laughs> Silver bullet. I guess what we're saying is it's almost the weekend. So put in one more strong trade day and then uh, enjoy yourself. Do something that's not trading. And have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next week. Namaste and trade well. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk It is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.